1: Hey, welcome to Horse Hour. I'm Amy Stevenson, and today I talk to Camilla from B&W Equine Vets. Have you heard the word being bantered around embryo transfer? It sounds quite technical, but it's a way of breeding your mare. So Camilla talks to us in detail about what is embryo transfer, how does it work, can we do it with our horses if our horse is still competing, and also she gives us some advice. If you're looking at breeding your mare, then Camilla's here with tips. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to Horse Hour. I'd like to introduce you to Camilla Scott. Already, I'm a little bit nervous because she's clearly very, very intelligent. One, she's a vet, and two, she specialises in equine reproduction, which is fascinating when we think about where the horses come from and how they mate is what i like to call it is that how you call it camilla is it mating yeah or breeding breeding that's the more technical term isn't it (laughs) but but you're you're a specialist in equine reproduction and you work for b&w equine vets how long have you been doing this for
2: Oh well about 10 years now so I've been really lucky and had a very exciting career all over the world and I've just started back in the UK uh, with BMW Vets this February which is really nice and before that I was working in Australia and I did a residency so my specialist training in America. So yeah. oh, Wow
1: what was Australia like were you focusing on breeding there?
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely so it'll be my i'm actually going back this season as well and it'll be my fourth uh breeding season in the southern hemisphere and uh, yeah just purely reproduction while i'm over there and a mix of thoroughbred horses which are bred mm. all by natural cover and then artificial insemination and some embryo transfer as well so real mix so when you go to
1: vet school it's like years of experience isn't it and years of learning
2: what made you decide
1: that you wanted to focus on the breeding side
2: well, I just think it's absolutely fascinating. There's nothing more exciting than making babies, is there? <laughs> Which is, is, is brilliant. And I was really lucky uh, throughout vet school. I had some brilliant mentors and I was just really interested in the topic and wanted to learn more. It is a fascinating
1: thing. It's also... There are quite a few technical new things. Well, they're new to us. We've just heard about them. I'm sure they've been around for a lot longer and tried and tested, like embryo transfer. So I only heard about embryo transfer this year. And I'm sorry if I'm out of touch
2: with things. No, not, not at all. It is a really exciting field. And we have a lot what we call of the assisted reproductive techniques are becoming more and more popular and more and more available. As the you know technology is advancing, we're getting much better at doing it and like you say the awareness so people are you know beginning to learn what we can do which is great so what is embryo transfer so embryo transfer is the process by which we non-surgically flush an embryo from a pregnant mare around seven or eight days post ovulation. So she's bred either by natural cover or we inseminate her with fresh chills or frozen semen and then we document her ovulation and then between seven and eight days after ovulation we place a catheter through her cervix into her uterus and we use a specialist embryo flush um, filter and flush the fluid out of her uterus and into a nice filter where we catch the embryo and then we assess it under a microscope and we wash it and then we transfer it back into a recipient mare who then carries the pregnancy to term that's amazing so it's like a surrogate mother absolutely yep yeah, really similar so it's great for mares we do it for all sorts of reasons one of the big reasons is competition mares so you mm. can be having a Pregnancies and foals born from mares while they're still competing because it doesn't affect their competition at all. We can do it from mares that are maybe, for whatever reason, aren't able to carry their own foals to term, whether that's because they have reproductive issues or a hostile uterine environment where they won't be able to carry their own foal. Or for other reasons, if they have issues with lamenesses or, you know, health or other problems that they might not be able to carry. And then in certain, you know, really popular mares, we can produce more than one foal a season, which is really exciting. From different mums, I guess. From the same donor, but into different recipients. Yeah. Yeah. Could you do it for me? that would be really handy if i could have my i'm only not getting pregnant because i
1: don't want to not ride for nine months (laughs) yeah that would
2: be good wouldn't it it? help me out a lot now i take it this doesn't hurt
1: the horses does it
2: no absolutely it's all very routine procedure and like i said it's all non-surgically when they first did the procedures you know very early days then they were doing surgical flushes and transfers but now um you know the technology's moved on and it you know no very routine and the mares just stand quietly in the stocks throughout the procedure and yeah there's not, absolutely no concern there at all. So I guess this
1: kind of thing would also be good for a mare that maybe can't have can't have foals. I'm just thinking. A friend of mine's just been told that her mare can't have any babies at all. Inside's okay, like the the ovaries are okay. Yeah, but she can't actually carry. I don't I don't know the ins and outs, the reasons why, but she's yeah, not going to be able to hold a hold yeah. A pregnancy.
2: Yeah, that's a, a a really common situation. They obviously need to be able to maintain the pregnancy for the first seven or eight days of their gestation, so they need to be able to ovulate normally. So, like you say, if the ovaries are okay, they're. Producing good quality eggs and we're able to inseminate them fertilization which occurs up in the oviducts if the oviducts and the ovaries are functioning normally then the embryo will drop into the uterus around day six after post ovulation mm. and so as long as she can maintain that pregnancy until day seven or eight so only within the uterine lumen for a couple of days then absolutely that's a really good candidate and these mares that either have an issue potentially with their cervix or with the uterus itself and certainly some older mares who've got scar tissues or chronic infections or issues like that, like you say, that aren't physically able to carry the foal to turn themselves, embryo transfer is a way to preserve the genetics of these horses that otherwise, you know, wouldn't be able to have a foal. So just going back then, so once you've... (laughs) It's, it's very
1: very complicated for somebody that doesn't really understand i, I just know that it's very clever um <laughs> normally when we're looking at breeding we take a mare up we pick a stallion out of a catalogue book and say right he's the one and yep. we take our mare up and the, the the stallion then covers the mare what happens
2: yeah it depends on the breed so um, like i said previously with thoroughbred um mares, they can only thoroughbred foals can only be registered to race with weather bees if they- They're covered by natural cover, so you take the mare to the stallion, and the mare mounts the stallion, mounts the mare, and it's what we call natural cover. Mm. Otherwise, with a lot of the work that we do with artificial insemination, we actually collect the semen from the stallion and then either ship it out to mares in different places, or we can transfer uh, inseminate the mare directly with just fresh semen or we can actually cry preserved semen which is another really fascinating topic where we can actually preserve genetics for stallions, you know, after you know, long after they're castrated or potentially, you know, I've bred a mare who is pregnant today who the stallion's actually not alive anymore. Mm. And that's something else, another topic that's really fascinating. So depending, there's lots of different ways we can actually inseminate um the mare and then yep, like I say, so fertilization will occur in the duck so we'll breed her and then she'll ovulate, release the egg and the egg will be fertilized by the sperm whether that's from natural cover or from artificial insemination. So is there a chance then that the egg won't be fertilized? There's uh, lots of reasons, and similar to humans, you know, they have to have a viable egg, so she has to ovulate a, a good quality egg, and the semen has to be, you know, alive, motile, and, for, you know, needs to be able to fertilize the egg. And we do have certain stallions that have infertility issues, the same as in, you know, humans who might have lower numbers of normal, motile sperm. So there is, you know, a potential. Nothing biology isn't 100%, unfortunately, mm. else I'd be out of a job. <laughs> uh, but,
1: <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's really interesting I think I wish that almost I'd known about this before because we're a lot of us are afraid to ride stallions you know because they're a little bit more hot headed or they can be seen to be more hot headed so we get them gelded I'd love to have had uh, have had my horse done you know and had a bit of his semen and frozen it for a while had him gelded be able to ride and then I could still have his foals not me but you know we we could still (laughs) have his foals which would be lovely
2: yeah no and that's a really good thing And, and it's similar with the embryo transfer in a way we have a lot of these competition mares who have a really long competing career and they can't have a foal during that period so when they come to retire and when we start breeding them then you know at an older age then it's a lot harder to get them in foal and really they're the perfect candidates on the mare side of things that we can actually be flushing those mares while they're competing we don't have to wait until they've retired, at which stage they're not going to be as reproductively active. So that's a huge thing for embryo transfer, but like you say, also for the stallion side of it it's great because you know it's, you ha- you can cry preserve that semen and you c- it lasts forever and you've got it you know if you ever need it. Mm.
1: Just just looking at it a little bit emotionally um, I quite often hear people say oh my mare needs to have a foal she's at that point now where she needs to have one I don't know whether it's a, like a hormonal thing like humans get where you get to 30 and you think oh my god I really need to have children now <laughs> I don't know if mares go through that but but if a mare doesn't have an, a foal natural and so she's got a surrogate mother she's not going to go through that emotional thing of having, having a foal
2: does that matter? No I think it's really difficult and like you say we do have a tendency to assume that horses have similar feelings to what we do and I think you will actually realize that you know in the wild it doesn't always work like that and we have you know many mares never have foals and certainly I don't think that they feel like they're missing out they just don't know it and Mm -hmm. obviously you know mares do make fabulous Um, mothers and when they give birth that you know that even that takes a bit of time for them to get used to having a foal so i definitely don't think that they feel like they've missed out
1: oh good so we're not taking that away from them and it doesn't affect the rest of their years no absolutely not no so what about the surrogates then do they naturally i guess they just automatically think their body just automatically thinks that it's pregnant so they must just go through the the motions normally as though they were covered by a stallion
2: yeah absolutely and that's a really good point about the recipient mayor, because that's a huge part of embryo transfer and something that's easily overlooked but the health and the welfare and the management of the recipient mares is almost more important than the donor mares because they're the mares that are going to need to carry the pregnancy to term and we're really selective about recipient mares that we choose and they need to be you know well handled and you know vaccinated worms teeth done feet done all those things so they're mm. very well looked after but absolutely and it is that you know it's not a hundred percent when we transfer that embryo into recipient mare we do it at a very specific time following ovulate, her own ovulation to make sure that her uterus is in a situation where it's ready to to accept an embryo. But the mare in particular has a very interesting method of what we call maternal recognition of pregnancy, which is the embryo itself signaling to the mare to say, hey, I'm here, don't you know short cycle and get rid of me, you mm. wanna stay pregnant. And it's very clever, it actually floats around and it moves around all through the uterine horns and bodies to signal to the mare that she's in full. So there is a specific time that we do that over, but yet following on from that, um, like I said, it's not unfortunately it's not a hundred percent it's more sort of a 70 to 80 percent success rate once you've transferred an embryo but when the mare does recognize the pregnancy it will carry on throughout gestation as if it was her own embryo.
1: It's amazing so what happens then when the mare's had the baby when the mare's had the foal there's normally a time period isn't there that you can't take the foal away from the mum?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, for the first six to nine months, really, we don't we, we don't want to wean the foal. How we we call it because it's you know reliant on the mare for its milk for nutrition. So that's really important time period that people you know, if they have an, do an embryo transfer and take a recipient mare home, we tend to lease recipients out to those owners, and they will keep that recipient mare until the foal is weaned. So, yeah, that's really important that they
1: stay together. So the owners then who have given the embryo in the first place or provided the embryo keep the recipient mare and the foal?
2: Yep. So that's how it usually works. So we make sure, obviously, we do lots of pregnancy examinations to make sure everything's growing okay and that the foal's developing normally. And certainly from about sort of from a heartbeat scan, which we usually do around 28 days, and then we'll do uh, later scans as well. But once we're happy, the recipient mare has kept the pregnancy. Then usually how it works is the owner will take the recipient mare. Who's pregnant with their donor's embryo will take the, those home and then either you know fold them at home or send them to stud to foal and then they'll keep the recipient and the embryo transfer foal until it's weaned. Yeah, and then mm. the recipient mare will typically come back to the recipient herd um, ready for its next embryo. So that's their job then, is to produce foals. Yeah, absolutely, and they're
1: very good at it. How many foals can they produce in their lifetime before it becomes too much for them?
2: Again, they're incredibly resilient. And actually with broodmares, they do better often the more foals that they can have. And it depend- it totally depends on what stage they start being pregnant. But they will happily have a foal, you know, every year. That's how nature has designed them. And in the wild, that's what they'd be doing too. Until what age would
1: they do that? Because we, you know, our eggs go down at 35. So how old would a horse is before they... Stop yeah, of course.
2: Uh, with the, it's slightly different for the recipient mares because they obviously need to be particularly reproductively sound. We would typically not use a recipient mare over the age of about sort of fourteen, fifteen. But mares that have previously carried their own foals, they've showed that actually that uh, sort of helps the uterus, and they are able to have foals in, uh, you know to a much older age, so up to sort of twenty and sometimes older. Oh my gosh! Really? God, that's really old. Isn't it? no like I like to say they're they're amazing creatures and what, what's the youngest age then So again with the embryo flushing we can actually flush embryos from mares as young as sort of three so as soon as they're reproductively active and that's another situation where you probably wouldn't want a three-year-old to be carrying her own to term because she wasn't fully grown and matured in herself but we could be getting very viable embryos from her at that early stage but typically we wouldn't transfer it into a recipient mare younger than four. So it's sounding
1: Camilla like a really ideal situation you know if you've got a horse that's competing or you've got problems with your horse then you can use embryo transfer but what sort of things should we be looking for if we're thinking of going ahead you know there must be there must be some danger zones
2: you know yeah. things that
1: are important that we need to be looking for from our vets so that we know they actually know what they're doing
2: yeah no absolutely and like you say you know there is, it is a great way to get you know around lots of situations where you're wanting a foal but it's something really that you have to think about very carefully before you get into and like you say there are potential issues involved again with your donor mare it's really important that she's physically healthy and reproductively sound and we'll do a full what we call breeding soundness exam before we start um, you know breeding her to make sure that she's fit for the job that her, like we said that her ovaries are functioning normally and she's ovulating and you know producing viable eggs and able to maintain that pregnancy for those few days so all the normal things that we'd assess and again the other side of that's really important when we're choosing a stallion that your chances are obviously going to be increased the more fertile the stallion is mm-hmm. um, and certainly you know if you're doing natural cover or chilled or uh, fresh semen, then you do have a high higher success rate typically than with frozen semen although we do do it a lot with frozen semen AI as well and then it's really like I say you know making sure that you've got a good quality you know recipient there as well. In
1: your experience which would you say is your favorite way of going about it? I know that sounds pretty crazy <laughs> but but you know would you say We all have an opinion. Would you say it's the natural way or because obviously you're very passionate about the new, you know, the frozen semen and things like that. But after watching mares go through this over and over and over again, which would you say is your ideal way?
2: Oh, gosh, that's a really tricky question because it's quite dependent on the mares. And as and, and far as fertility, there's no doubt in it that, you know, with natural or chilled or fresh semen, you are going to get better results with frozen, than with frozen semen. But like we said, that, you know, there's so many advantages of the frozen semen. I've bred mares this year from stallions who are based in Australia. You know, you can get semen shipped from all around the world, which really widens your gene pool. So, like I said, I'm very passionate and I really enjoy all aspects and I just would find that too, I just couldn't say. It's too difficult a question, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Do
1: you know, it's mind boggling to think that you can take semen from all over the world. You know, you just saying that, it's like you can literally go down the bloodline, down the history and select your favourite your favourite stallion, you know, that has all the traits that you want. And then you get to pick your ideal mare. We must be talking thousands of pounds to get this done.
2: Oh, well, that, again, really um, depends on the main thing is the stud fee of the stallion. And you're right. If you're a thoroughbred mare and you want your mare to go to Frankel, then you'll be (laughs) paying more than most people's houses. But if you, you know, there are lots of really good competition stallions and the frozen semen and their stud fees are very reasonable. So it's all, you know, personal preference, really.
1: I was talking to Gemma Tattersall the other day, and she, some of her chilli babies were made through embryo transfer.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yeah, they certainly were. And, and were they done through you? Um, not personally, but um, West Kington Stud, where I work at, that's where chilis often collected. So yeah. Oh, wow. So what
1: did you learn then? So when you were going around Australia and in America, are there many differences to the way that they do reproduction over there to in the UK?
2: it's surprisingly similar actually which is really fascinating like i have been very lucky and worked in some fabulous places and it's really nice to be home and bring all that experience with me but having said that you know it is very similar and i've recently been at a conference in europe this weekend and there's people all around the world and it's fascinating when you talk to people lots of people doing you know the same thing there are obviously different ways of doing it but we're all you know coming to the same conclusions which is really interesting
1: and you know this might sound insane but we're highly competitive in the UK. So we of want <laughs> we want the very best of the best. You know, we want the best horses that do the best work. Do you think it's going to make life harder for us because there's access to so many other people in the world so so you, you normally have the german horses and the australian horses and the uk horses but where the world is becoming a smaller place we're really going to have to up our game because a lot of the horses are going to be have similar breeding and have similar levels of quality i guess
2: Yeah, and I think that's where I'd actually probably argue the opposite of that, that because, like we say, particularly with, you know, frozen semen and uh, shipping in, we can ship in chilled semen as well from Europe, that we've got availability to all these fabulous stallions, that we aren't limited by our, you know, gene pools. We can, you know, really advance the genetics of these horses and pick exactly, like you say, you know, the perfect characteristics for the stallion for your mare, which I think is fabulous. I think it gives us, you know, even better advantage do you breed for a particular discipline
1: so much or do you you find more disciplines are more popular for embryo transfer than others
2: um well it can't be done in thoroughbreds because they have restrictions on their breed so that's all natural cover they don't do any assisted reproductive technology so any Mm. racing would be out me personally it's a lot i have a lot of competition horses so a lot of show jumpers eventers but dressage as well so a real mix but like you say, because of the great advantage with the competition meds of the embryo transfer, that, you know, is becoming more and more popular. It's amazing. Do you know how many people have it each year? Oh, gosh, i
1: know. I wouldn't know off the top oh, of, of my head. A guess. How many customers do you reckon, you know, are interested? Have a guess.
2: Oh, gosh. Well, it varies. That's really tricky because there's so many different centres doing it around the world. So it oh, would be yeah. difficult. Yeah. And okay, in, in the country, difficult to say. No, it's fascinating. It's really, really interesting. It's also quite
1: scary. It's a big unknown world. And so... I guess if you could make it sound less scary, (laughs) that would really help because it's very, very scientific. And when we first looked at or heard about embryo transfer, because you can have it in humans as well. It's, yeah it's very very scientific isn't it but actually it's only, like you said it's only about incubating an egg and moving it into another mum it's something that's been around for years
2: yeah absolutely and actually certainly when I'm you know training people up or new cl- clients who are new to the procedures and you know I show them you know step by step exactly what we do
3: do and they're actually quite surprised how
2: straightforward you know you know there is a lot that goes into it and you have to you know be perfect a lot of perfection and timings are very important but the actual procedure itself we are literally flushing an embryo out of one mare and transferring it into another it's
1: amazing so that the overall process then how long does that
2: take Well, the um, flush itself. When we're obviously the breeding management is the same as any any mare that you're breeding, and then we wait that. Seven to eight days before we do the flush the flush itself honestly it probably takes between sort of fifteen minutes to half an hour to do it. We then all search the embryo and we wash the embryo um, to make sure that it 's all nice and clean and doesn 't you know not contaminated at all so that'll take another sort of probably fifteen minutes to half an hour in the lab and then the transfer again setting all the mares up and everything it takes another probably you know fifteen minutes or so. The time that goes into it really is uh, synchronising your recipient mares so they're at the perfect timing to receive the embryo and obviously the donor management of the breeding but the procedure itself isn't that time consuming at all. So how would you go about finding your recipient mare? So that's a really great question and and like I sort of said before that's an area that's so important in embryo transfer and really good that we manage those appropriately. So there's a very strict timing that works for this so Mm. the recipient mare needs to have ovulated either the day before your donor mare or up to three days afterwards. So we're very lucky we have some drugs and hormones that help us with that so we can actually induce ovulation in our recipient mares so we'll be scanning them sort of three times a week so we'll know exactly where they are in their cycle and then we'll have mares with nice big follicles and edema so they're in heat ready to go and then as soon as we've documented an ovulation on our donor mare so we'll typically when she the donor mare has a follicle of 35 millimetres or more and nice edema suggestive of estrogen influence and her being in heat we'll give her an ovulation induction agent which typically induces her to ovulate 36 to 48 hours after that so we'll do that on day zero we'll then breed her the next day and then the following day she'll have ovulated so when she's the donor mare is ovulated that's the time that we can give the ovulation induction agent to a recipient mare so in a similar manner apart from the fact we obviously don't breed her and then she'll typically ovulate two days after the donor so that her uterus will be set up it's that precise it is that precise, and that's that's the art of it. It is can be quite tricky lining them all up. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, so, how often then
1: does a mare, like in normal field terms, in in the wild, how <laughs> often does a mare go into heat?
2: So, mares are what we call seasonal polyestrous animals. So mm. they cycle. In the spring and summer, so in the warmer months when there's increased day length and they will cycle every roughly every 21 days. So they have a very strict 14 to 15 days when they're not in heat and then they'll come into heat for sort of 7 to 10 days and that's a little bit more variable depending on the size of the follicle and the time of year that they come into season. So they'll cycle regularly every 21 days until they get in, in full and then like I said before, the embryo will, you know, tell the mayor that she's in full this maternal recognition of pregnancy so that she doesn't come back round into heat so from kind of
1: april until september they are yep. in heat every 21 days
2: yep I absolutely.
1: they're constantly running around the field i genuinely thought it was like three times a year
2: no no and that is a big thing that yeah certainly um yeah every every 21 days you'll know about it
1: (laughs) and they're very hormonal
2: Well, certain mares, some mares you'll never know they're in season, and others, yeah, like you say, can definitely show. Do their
1: hormones make a difference when it comes to breeding?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. They're vital, you know, part of it, and that you know the physiology is absolutely fascinating in the mare, and that it changes so rapidly, you know, day to day. These mares, when we're breeding them, we'll be scanning them sometimes on a daily or twice daily basis and monitoring, you know, their hormone levels that we can tell, like I said, when they're in out of heat they're under the influence of progesterone mm-hmm. so they'll have a corpus luteum that secretes the progesterone and keeps them out of heat and then if they're pregnant they'll carry on secreting the progesterone otherwise the uterus has a mechanism where it releases a hormone called prostaglandin which will actually lyse the cl so break that down so they'll stop secreting progesterone and when they come back into heat that's when their estrogen starts to peak wow
1: Because some people, some mare owners, I've heard of them using calming agents to keep their mares calmer and some of them I've heard can reduce the hormones and reduce the amount of oestrogen that they have which helps keep them calm but surely if you're on that if they're on that then that's going to affect any breeding that they do because they won't have as many hormones in their body
2: yeah absolutely so it's really important and this is like you're saying it can be difficult in certain competition mares that do show when they're in season that often we're wanting to suppress those signs and potentially may give them um, additional hormones so like progesterone like a regumate to keep them out of season so yep if you then want to go on and breed them it's really important that they're not on any of that medication. So regime
1: actually stops them being in
2: season altogether?
1: So it's an additional,
2: it's a supplementary progesterone source, so that'll keep them out of heat, yeah.
1: Amazing. Because some people don't want their mares to breed at all, but they just don't want them being crazy every month.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, and it's a a really common thing that we get called out to look at, and we obviously do a full evaluation of the mare because they can actually have um, some mares like you say, it's just because they're in season. Other mares can actually have growths on their ovaries that can secrete hormones, which can mean that they're displaying excessive signs of behaviour. So it's really important that if you have a mare like that that you do get your vet to come out and check them and give you a better idea of exactly what's going on and you know how to manage them. So something like Regimate then
1: is not something you can go and buy over the counter you have to have a vet come down and I presume take blood pressure and heart rate and things like that
2: yeah absolutely we definitely want to you know check them out before we start on any medication and make sure that a that's definitely the reason why they're showing these behavioral signs and you know b, that they're a suitable candidate so
1: if we could just move away from embryo transfer just for a second cool. and just move into a day-to-day brood mare you know say i have a mare and i'm thinking about putting her into foal what yep. should be the reasons that i want to get her to have a foal
2: Yeah, and that's a really good question and we have a huge, you know, variety of reasons. Some are because, like you said, you know, she's a mare that jumps really well or, you know, is a beautiful eventer or races really fast mm-hmm. and you've got, you know, a, a really nice mare that, you know, obviously isn't going to be able to carry on, you know, competing and being ridden forever, so it's really nice to carry on with the bloodlines. Um, mm-hmm. Some people, we have a lot of rare breeds in this country, so it's really important that we carry on with the likes of our, you know, Exmoors, Dartmoors, horses, that we've got a fabulous selection of horses in the UK and that's a huge thing that we really want to promote our rare breeds to make sure we maintain them and sometimes it's something as straightforward that you know she's just the mare's got a really lovely temperament and you think she'd make a fabulous mother. But we need to take away the emotional elements. Yeah, when you take away the emotional element, most of the cases is because people are wanting, you know, horse, it's, there's something special about producing, you know, homegrown horses. And like you say, looking through all the bloodlines and choosing, you know, a suitable stallion that you think is going to improve what you've already got. And that's a really huge thing about breeding is we're always looking for the next step. And you've got a fabulous mare, but potentially if you bred her to a certain stallion, then you're going to come up with an even better foal. Yeah, that's uh, Janet Vokes
1: who bred Dream Alliance. Yeah, have you heard of her? Have you heard of the the movie Dark
2: Horse? Yes, yeah, I have. Oh, I love it.
1: Um she <laughs> had no horse like she had a little bit of horse experience, but she never bred before and that's exactly what she did. She just took the bloodlines and found an amazing stallion, and then created this absolutely dream horse, literally. Yeah. Um yeah. And, and it was it was really, really fascinating to I see know. how she did it.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it's an amazing process and I'm really lucky we've got some fabulous clients and it's really nice, you know, going being a part of that. And you know, the great thing is we get to, you know, get to follow the mares all the way through and we're often you know called out as soon as the foal's born to check them over and that's just yeah fabulous. Okay so let's say we're thinking
1: of breeding our mare then and oh I did ask earlier we should take away the emotional element because like I said I've heard quite a few times people saying oh I think she's ready for a foal I think it's time that she had a foal but like you said before it's not about that we don't have to think about the she's not necessarily ready for a foal It's what that's yeah. what we project onto yeah, them.
2: yeah absolutely that's definitely a human projection yeah so either way they
1: might have good history or they're a nice foal and we want to breed them what what are the things that we should be doing how do we start with it
2: So the first thing to do is probably to call your vet out to examine her, and we'll come out and we'll do a full evaluation of her reproductive tract. So we'll scan her ovaries and her uterus and palpate her cervix and make sure everything looks okay, that she's cycling normally and that she doesn't have any things that might interfere with her getting in full, and then we'll typically take some, once she comes into heat, we'll typically take a swab and a smear sample to make sure that there's no evidence. Of any infection and then we'll monitor her very closely throughout her estrus cycle and like we've discussed before when she grows a nice what we call a pre-ovulatory follicle so typically around a, depending on the mare but around a 35 millimeter follicle with some evidence of edema that's the time that we'll be wanting to collect the semen and either you know collect it directly or breed the mare or phone up and get your semen shipped basically is how it then works we'll we'll give the mare the ovulation induction agent typically breed her the next day and then we'll check her the day after then to make sure that she has ovulated and that she's not got any signs of fluid or infection post cover because that's something really important it's not just documenting the ovulation to make sure that she's released the egg and that it's going to be fertilized but also it's very important that her uterus is in a position where when the embryo drops into the uterus on day 7 that it's ready for it and that it's not got a bacterial infection within the uterus and there's no evidence of fluid after breeding because that obviously will interfere with the embryo's survival and that's one of the big things again about the embryo transfer is that often we're taking embryos out of mares that don't have a good uterine environment or a potentially hostile uterine environment for the embryo and they're actually putting it into a healthy recipient mare is going to give that embryo a much better chance in life.
1: And that's the getting the mare pregnant, which is technical enough,
2: you know, in itself. (laughs) Yeah. But then you've got nine months. Are they pregnant for nine months? They're pregnant for 11 months, actually, so around 340 days on average. That'll vary a little bit depending on the time of year because they're seasonal. They tend to have a longer gestation length earlier in the year and a bit shorter in the summer months. Also, interestingly, there's been lots of studies that showed that if your mare is carrying a male, a colt foal, That they'll typically foal a couple of days later than if they're carrying a filly. Um, But it tends to be quite um, consistent year to year in the same mare. So, yeah, once we've documented that ovulation and hopefully, you know, the egg's been fertilized, it's really fabulous in horses that we can do very early pregnancy checks. So we can actually pick up um, what we call the embryonic vesicle from 11 days post-ovulation on ultrasound scan where you're literally looking at a 5 millimetre structure. So that's really fabulous that we can, you know, know that that early whether she's in foal or not typically we'll do our first pregnancy check around 14 days post ovulation where we'll have a nice circular 16 millimeter vesicle and then we check them typically again around 28 days for what we call the heartbeat scan so that's the first stage we will see the flickering heartbeat on ultrasound which is very exciting that's amazing yeah that's really fabulous and then the next time we look at them typically is around 42 days gestation and that's when they we call them a fetus their organs are beginning to develop and the umbilical cord has formed so we can monitor their growth throughout this period and then if you want to know what color to paint your stable we can check them again (laughs) between 60 and 70 days and we can actually sex the the fetus at that stage and that's the stage when all the organs have developed so that's a really good you know good evaluation to make sure everything's monitoring and progressing as it should and pregnant losses after that stage are, you know, significantly reduced compared to earlier in pregnancy, and then we often don't check them again until, you know, potentially late gestation to make sure, you know, that she's still in foal and we can get her all prepared for foaling.
1: So outside of the, you're talking about inside the mare, outside yep. of the mare. What should an owner be doing to look after the mare? Is it any different to looking after a normal horse?
2: That's a really good, good question. So important things early on in gestation certainly when the embryo is forming and the organs are developing and up until that 60 days we try not to give them any unnecessary medication so it's a time when we don't recommend vaccinating and worming or anything that potentially could upset the development of the embryo and the fetus. As far as nutrition wise the, most of the fetal growth actually doesn't happen until after seven. you know it obviously is, is developing but the bulk of the growth doesn't actually occur until sort of seven months onwards, so feed wise you should eat her completely normally throughout the first you know two trimesters obviously providing good quality hay and nutrients and vitamins and minerals and (laughs) a healthy balanced diet but it certainly doesn't need to be increased until later in term is it better for a horse
1: to be walking a lot and outside 24 7 or sheltered in in a stable
2: Yeah, it depends a little bit on the weather, but you're right, I think exercise is really important to keep them moving because it is sort of a thing, a misdemeanor similar to humans, you know, you don't want them to gain excessive weight during pregnancy because that's not healthy for them either. So yeah, I think it's good to keep them in their natural environment, keep them moving and happy in that respect.
1: I'm guessing you can't ride them because that could ultimately affect the fetus.
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly... In, like I say, the the early stages, you certainly don't want to stress them out. People do ride them sort of in the second trimester, you know, gentle hacking and things. But more often, yeah, by that stage, once they've become a broodmare, you've taken their shoes off and, Mm. you know, they've let, let them down a bit and they can, you know, go out and do their natural thing so okay this is random
1: but on the new forest they send the stallions out you've got all the wild horses they send the stallions out twice a year to cover some of the mares but i'm interested to know do horses tend to give foals at the same time obviously the stallions it helps the fact that the stallions go on a particular at the same time of uh, goes yeah. on to the new forest at the same time but um some most of the foals have been born but i've noticed there's a couple of of mares that haven't had their foals yet and they seem to be a lot later than the others
2: yeah and a lot of that you're right it is very dependent on how long the stallion's out for and obviously there's only one chance in that 21 day cycle that she's going to get in foal so some mares will catch on their first time and they'll have you know foals typically you know three or four weeks earlier than a mare that you know if she then had to recycle wasn't in foal in the first time and that will depend a lot on the stallion's fertility but also the mare's fertility Mm. so you're right some mares will take more than one attempt to get in so they will fall later in the season.
1: And I swear that one of them's had twins what's the likelihood of horses having twins?
2: So unfortunately that's pretty rare. Um, (laughs) How the placenta of the foal works is that the foal actually needs a placentation to cover the whole of the endometrial surface so throughout the uterus for it to thrive and unfortunately if you have two foals then they get what we call into uterine growth retardation because they don't have enough Supply of nutrient and oxygenation and all everything that they need to grow and develop throughout pregnancy. So whilst it does occur, it is pretty rare and often sadly the situation is that either you'll lose one or both of the foals. Oh, so it's
1: unlikely that these because they're wild we don't know so it's unlikely that they're twins more than likely they've probably got the same dad and um, a couple of mums in the same herd and just look very similar and were born at the same time so they're inseparable yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> but potentially yeah i got all excited about that i was going to go and see if i could buy them at the next sales if they were twins oh. <laughs> <laughs> well camilla it's been fascinating thank you so much are there any organizations anywhere we could go like if we're seriously interested about you know looking At making our mare a brood mare, or putting them in foal, or embryo transfer—is there anywhere we can get even more information than what you've already kindly given us?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of places, and we're obviously, you know, very happy to talk to anyone and give them advice if they're wanting to discuss anything further. And like I said, West Kingston Stud, where I work, they're you know, brilliant there as well and give you lots of information and help you potentially choose stallions. But yeah, there's lots of information out there and certainly if anyone wants to get in touch with us about breeding their mares, we'd be more than happy to help them. And so what is your website address?
1: Mm. bnw uh, at yeah. i think, I think so, i'm gonna yeah. check that now yeah. before we go any further
2: And um, when <laughs> i when i asked about and there is a stud or a repro specific section on that when i uh, asked about the the body i meant is
1: there a governing body
2: that oversees oh, I see what you mean Um, well there's breed registries so depending on whether your mare is registered with a specific breed then they're the probably people to talk to and but certainly someone like the sports horse of great britain they do you know a lot of our eventers show jumpers dressage horses are registered with them so that's a a great place to start
1: i think it's important you know especially if you are a novice you know at, at breeding you've never done it before but you are interested in it it's important that we get the right education we go to the right people that are registered that know what they're talking about and and we keep our horses safe whether we're breeding through embryo transfer or natural form
2: yeah absolutely that's that's really true and there is like you say well it's nature does a fabulous job it's really important that we you know make sure like you say that we're keeping the mares in in good health and there is a lot that goes into it so it's really important particularly when you're starting out you know to get some guidance and everyone you know is more than happy to help and we want to do you know do a good job camilla scott thank you so much i could talk to you for
1: ages (laughs) it was fascinating (laughs) if we would like any more information you have a page on your website for stud and reproduction which is the website address is bwequinevets.co.uk we can also follow you on twitter
2: yep and we've got a facebook page as well
1: so you're on twitter at bwequinevets and you're on facebook as well if you just search b equine vets it's
2: been a pleasure thank you so
1: much thank you speak to you soon bye bye thanks so much for listening I hope you enjoyed this episode if you've missed previous episodes of Horse Hour don't worry because you can catch up with all of them on ACAST on iTunes or on our website if you head to horsehour.org I had a lovely chat with Gemma Tattersall just after she finished badminton and just before the announcement of Team Great Britain so the chat that I had with her was that kind of middle bit in between where she was getting excited and, and she was so thrilled with what happened at badminton and then she was excited to find out if she was going to be in the Rio team well we now know she is in the Rio team and there's another interview with her just after that announcement you can listen to all these if you scroll through iTunes scroll through Acast or head to our website horsehour.org there's a whole bunch of other episodes too. If you upgrade to ACAST Plus and become a subscriber, then you get exclusive episodes. So Matt Waterworth, the bit expert, he came back on and he went into even more detail about different bits for different breeds and also what bits are allowed in different types of competitions. I mean, he, bless me, really does go into detail. You can also hear an interview with David from Andrews Bowen Equestrian Surfaces, where we learn about different types of equestrian surfaces and why it's so important to make sure the right surface is around for the discipline that you want to do, but also how breeds and different horse breeds are affected by different surfaces. So there's loads out there for you. Just head to acastituneshorsehour.org and, of course, you can contact me on Twitter. I'm at Amy Stevenson one horsehours at Horsehour and uh, we're on Facebook too. I'll speak to you soon.
2: You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag HorseHour, follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM.